Christianity is, is surmised in, in one word, four-letter word, D-O-N-E, what was done on your behalf. Are you trusting in what you do? Because if you are, you're lost in your sin. The Bible says very clearly that even your good works, what you do, you feed the poor, you help the homeless, you, know, you, you help out, reach out to older people, whatever you might do, God considers those as filthy rags before a holy God when they're done with the intent of earning your, your goodness before God. Now, Christianity is all about what was done for us on Calvary. Last week, here on Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse reminded us of what it means to worship a risen Savior. We'll continue with a look at worshiping the risen Savior out of Matthew chapter 28 next on Graceful Truth. Join us. Is the resurrection true? If it is, what is our response? What will you do with the risen Savior? That's the question we seek to answer today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Greetings and welcome to the broadcast. We're in Matthew 28, and the gospel focuses on the emotional response to the resurrection of a group of women who love Jesus deeply. And that's where we pick up. We take a look at the joy, the worship, and the hope that's found in the resurrection. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See, the angel knew why the women came. And then the angel says in verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. That phrase there, he has risen, in the Greek original language, it's translated from an aorist passive. And it can be rendered this way, has been raised. Jesus has been raised. Jesus himself had the power to give up his life and to take it up. That's what John 10, 18 says. But scripture makes it very clear that he was also raised by the power of who? The Father? It tells us that in various places, Romans 6, 4, Galatians 1, 1, 1 Peter 1, 3. And also the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. And so the entire Trinity, the whole Godhead, participated here in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this angel gently reminds the women that were there that Jesus' resurrection, it shouldn't surprise him because he, he said he was going to do this. Just as he said, ladies. Remember, he said he was going to do this. Over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 8, Luke reports this, Then they remembered his word. So then... The terror kind of turned into an excitement. Next, the angel invited the woman to come and see the place where he lay. Make sure it's empty. Go ahead, check it out. The angel joined them in the tomb, and he said basically the same thing. It tells us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 6. Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. I mean, perhaps the message was repeated because the women just found this hard to believe. And then when Peter and John entered the tomb a little while later, John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7 tells us they beheld the linen wrappings lying there. See, Jesus was prepared for burial. He was bound up like a mummy. But when he was raised from the dead, he had a glorified body. And like I said, glorified bodies, material doesn't matter to them. So he just got up 
from where he was laying down that body. And those, those linens just laid there. So the disciples looked in there and they saw that. They saw the face cloth, which was on his head. It's rolled up by itself. And these were the ones that Joseph and, and Nicodemus had laid the body to rest in. And while the woman were in the tomb, another angel joined the first. It tells us in, Luke, in John chapter 20. One at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. So you have two angels in there with these people. One commentator says those two angels really represent the, the two golden cherubim who were on either side of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. So here you have a perfect picture. He had just become a truly the mercy seat for a sinful mankind. And then the angels tells us in Luke that, why do you seek the living among the dead? They're probably looking around this, this tomb going, where's he at? Why do, you, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day he would rise again? And see, for a third time, the women were told this glorious truth of Jesus' resurrection. And by this time, it's probably starting to soak in. And so one of the angels says, hey, you need to go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And at that point, the women's fascination quickly turns into what we call proclamation. They were to go and they were to tell the world of the risen Christ, specifically the disciples. And the, and the angel said, do it quickly. I mean, think about it. All the disciples at, at Christ's crucifixion, where were they at? They ran, right? They went and hid themselves, fearing they were going to be next. And here you see the compassion of the Lord in this angel telling these women, go quickly and tell the disciples. You know, if I was Jesus, I would let them kind of wander a little, maybe a couple days. <laughs> you know, let them sit in their stew and try to figure this thing out. You know, after all, they deserted him. But he doesn't do that. That's not the kind of God we serve. Doesn't take advantage of us in that way. He didn't rebuke them for their lack of faith or for their cowardice. But he sent them messengers with the gracious word of hope and comfort. What a wonderful God we serve. You may be asking, why do you think that the women got to see this first? I mean, you wonder why, why God allowed these, these women rather than the disciples. I mean, the disciples were kind of like his gang. I mean, they were the, the guys that did all the ministry with him and everything, and yet they're nowhere to be found. And there's a lot of different theories on that. Why would Jesus allow them to be there at the tomb when the angel came and all that? One commentator says, well... It's because God chooses the weak and to confound the strong. Another suggests that women were rewarded for their faithful service to the Lord. Another holds that death came by a woman in the garden. So new life was first announced to a woman in the garden. You know, Others say that it was because the deepest sorrow deserves the deepest joy. Or that the supreme love deserves the supreme privilege. I mean, you can, you can go down any road you want. But I think scripture is pretty simple. I think it says what it says. It doesn't say any of that. It simply seems obvious that the woman were the first to hear this angel, this angelic announcement that he's risen of the resurrection, simply because, you know what, they were there. I mean, had the disciples been there, they would have heard it too. They would have heard the good news directly from the angel, rather than indirectly through this, the, the women that went and told them. And I think there's a parallel here to the reality of this simple truth. The closer a believer stays to the Lord and to his work, the more he is going to witness and he's going to experience the Lord's power. I think that's the bottom line here. Those who are there when the Lord's people gather for worship and for prayer, they're going to be blessed. Those who are there when his word is being taught, they're going to be blessed. 
Those who are there when the lost are being won to Christ. Those who are there when others are being served in his name. Those who have that regular time and they're there in those private times of prayer. See, these are the folks that are most often going to experience firsthand the work of God. So if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, you know, God hasn't really done much in my life lately. I wonder why. Are you where God wants you to be? The angel's further instruction to the woman was to tell the disciples he is going before you into Galilee and you're going to see him there. And that was where they received the great commission. It's kind of the rallying point. I mean, they saw the risen Lord before that point, but he said, hey, don't forget, we got a meeting in Galilee. So you see these emotions coming out, compassion, terror, but you also see joy. Look at verse 8. They departed quickly from the tomb with what? Fear and great joy. Seems like a hard to have those two things together. And they ran to report to his disciples. See, obediently, they responded to the angel's command. They didn't hang around the grave and say, well, this is really cool. We want to talk to this angel some more. No, they did what the angel told them to do. They departed quickly from the tomb. And obviously, if you're confronted with an angel, there's going to be some remnant of fear that you possess. But within their fear was also the idea that, you know what? Our Savior is risen. We came to anoint a dead body. The dead body's not there. The angel told us that he's risen, just as he said. And they're beginning to put the pictures of the puzzle together. And so there was great joy there. And it wasn't until Mary Magdalene met Jesus herself. She recognized him and shouted, Rabboni. See, then she, she reported her experience to the disciples. And they didn't even believe her. The disciples that were with Jesus these three and three plus years, they, they didn't even believe that he rose from the dead. Yeah, right, Mary. What have you been drinking, Mary? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he rose from the dead, all right. <laughs> you can read about their disbelief. And you know what? To me, that's evidence. That clearly proves that they had no intention of stealing his body because they never thought he would be raised from the dead. They didn't even give it a second thought. As the chief priests and the Pharisees feared, they didn't even believe it. But there was a joy there in these women's heart. And then also you see worship in verse 9. It says, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. That, that word greeted them, is, it's, it's a common greeting. It's basically, hello, how you doing? Nice to see you. Good morning. I mean, this is the risen Savior talking to you, okay? That's how he greeted them. Simply. It wasn't some big fanfare. It was just an ordinary greeting of the marketplace. Casual. Almost mundane. Might even seem inappropriate in our eyes. Yet the glorified Christ, who had just finished conquering sin and death, was able to greet those faithful women with warm, informal, tender greeting. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells this about our Lord. It says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What's he saying is, you know what, Jesus gets it. Why do you think he came down on this earth and he lived 30 some years in a human body? So that when you say, oh, you know what, man, my body's aching today. He doesn't have to look at you and go, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. 
No, he can look at you and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I ached. I was beaten beyond recognition. I mean, my, my human body was <laughs> pretty bad shape. It says immediately they, they recognized him. Verse 9, took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. See, they, they, they now understood that this was truly the Messiah. This was truly the Son of God who was risen from the dead. We saw him die. We saw him be beaten. We saw him be crucified. And yet, he lives. And they did what every person, hear this, every person, unbeliever as well as believer, they did the same thing that every person will do one day. Philippians 2, chapter 20, chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. Philippians 2, 10 to 11 says that when he comes again, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, at last, the full reality of this resurrection truth was solidified in their minds, in their hearts. They heard the angels' proclamation of the resurrection. They'd seen the empty tomb. They'd seen the risen Lord. They even touched His glorified body. And now they couldn't do anything. All they could do is fall down and adore Him and worship Him. In verse 10, He says to them, Don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren leave for Galilee and they're going to see me there. Message of hope. Don't be afraid. I mean, that's the kind of God we serve. It's the kind of God that comes along. He doesn't come along with a big club and just going, oh, you're not feeling good or I'm going to, I'm going to hammer you now. No, He comes in compassion. He comes in forgiveness. He comes in a, with, a, with a desire to, to reach out to you. He wants to know you. See, our problem is that somehow we think that we get to know God through our religion. I'd be bold enough to say as religion has never led anybody to God. You might say, well, what do you mean? See, religion is basically this, beloved. Religion is, is your attempt to reach out to God. It's your attempt to kind of elevate yourself up to the level of God. God is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's righteous. And in our humanity, we want to make ourselves that way. And so we think somehow we get involved in, quote, religion. You might say, well, what do you think Christianity is? Christianity is a religion. I would, I would beg to differ with you. I'd say, no, it's not. The difference between Christianity... And religion is simply this. It boils down to two words. If you ask me to give you a definition of any religion, any world religion, it's based on one word, two letters, do, D-O. Any world religion, look them up in the books. They'll tell you what you need to do. If you do this, if you join our thing, if we do this, if you keep these, if you do this, and it's all based on what you do, on your performance. And then eventually, maybe if you do enough, you'll earn your way up the ladder. 
But you never quite get there because they got to keep you, keep you kind of hooked in. <laughs> and you say, well, what's the difference between Christianity? Christianity is, is surmised in, in one word, four-letter word, D-O-N-E, what was done on your behalf. Are you trusting in what you do? Because if you are, you're lost in your sin. The Bible says very clearly that even your good works, what you do, you feed the poor, you help the homeless, you know, you, you help out, reach out to older people, whatever you might do. The Bible considers those, Jesus, God considers those as filthy rags before a holy God. When they're done with the intent of earning your, your goodness before God. No, Christianity is all about what was done for us on Calvary. See, that's why Jesus had to come and die. Because we couldn't do that. You mean if I died on a cross and I'd save myself? No, you wouldn't because you're not perfect. We've all sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. So are you trusting in what you do? Are you trusting in what is done on your behalf? Because that's the only thing that will save you. It's the work of Christ. Very quickly, just these... From the resurrection comes some incredible principles and truths that we can grab a hold of. The basic truth of the resurrection shows us this. First of all, it gives evidence that the Word of God is totally true and reliable. Because Jesus rose from the dead precisely when and in the way that he had predicted. And you can read that in Matthew 12, 40, 16, 21, 17, 9, on and on. You read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus over and over again said, this is how it's going to go down, guys. And the disciples were always saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want you to die. That's not in our plan. But it happened precisely how he said. Secondly, the resurrection means that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just as he claimed to be, by the way, and that he has power over life and death. The mere fact that Jesus came out of that grave, the mere fact that we don't go visit a headstone somewhere and say, yep, here's where Jesus lays. You can go see Buddhas. You can go see past popes. You can go see all these other people who claim almost deity. You can go visit their grave. Jesus doesn't have one. Because he had power over life and death. Third, it proves that salvation is complete. Because on that cross, when Jesus died and he was done on the cross, as his arms were stretched out and he was bleeding and beaten, the last words he said is what? It is finished. What does that mean? It's done. It's over. There's no more suffering that has to take place on our behalf to earn our salvation. If you're trusting in anything other than the, the work of Christ on the cross for your salvation, you're lost. You're lost. You're trusting in something that doesn't exist because it will not save you. Jesus conquered sin and death and hell and he rose victorious on the third day. It also proves that the church has been established. Jesus declared, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or gates of hell will not overcome it. His resurrection from the dead proves that death itself could not prevent Christ from establishing his church. 
It also proves that judgment is coming. John 5.22, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. We've been looking at that in Matthew 24. Some of the things that are going to be happening, taking place here on earth, as God returns and judges this, this vile, wicked world we live in. The question is, are you ready? The resurrection also proves, lastly, that heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting. See, Jesus promised, in my house, there are many dwelling places. And if it's not so, I wouldn't have told you so. And I go and I prepare a place for you. He said that in John 14 too. See, because Christ is alive by the resurrection, we as believers have the assurance that he is now preparing a place, a heavenly dwelling for them. That's what I told my brother a couple minutes ago when I talked to him on the phone. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to my new body. I'm looking forward to being with the Lord to being in his presence. It's for that reason that in the coming weeks, for two, three weeks, we're just going to do a short series on the glories of heaven. What do we have to look forward to in heaven? Is it going to be all that it's cracked up to be? I'm sure it will be in more. But my question to you this morning is, what are you going to do with the risen Savior? Because he is risen, beloved. He's truly risen indeed. The question is, what are you going to do with him? I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to watch a short video and then we'll close with a song. But I just want to ask you this morning, if you haven't put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would understand that he's calling your name this morning. This isn't a game. This isn't fairy tales this is real life you look at the world around you and all you have to do is pick up the newspaper and you begin to understand very quickly that the wheels are falling off the cart economically environmentally politically emotionally we see all sorts of wrong there's only one way out of that And it's through the Lord, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, he died for you. He gave up his life for yours. And he desires that you come to him. You turn away from your sin. You turn away from your religion, what you're doing. And you turn to the cross, understanding that he has done everything that needed to be done on your behalf. And you put your faith, your trust in Christ. You cry out to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Show me this Jesus that this man talks about. I need to be saved. You yield your life to him. He'll save you when it comes from a sincere heart. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you would just bless this message to our hearts. Lord, I don't know where the people are at. I don't know what they're going through, but you do. And Father, I pray that you would do your work as only you can. Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.